text. Luke chapter 11, verse 8 says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. The fifth particular is this. What are the reasons why God's people must labor for this holy importunity in their prayers? I answer first, because God hath tied and promised returns, not to the persons praying, but to the qualifications of their prayers. And when the scripture makes mention of this duty of prayer, it doth also make mention of several concomitants that must go along with it to make it acceptable. To instance, there are diverse concomitants which the scripture holds forth to be necessary for the acceptance of our prayers. First, we must pray believingly. Hebrews 11:6. He that cometh to God must believe. Mark 11:24. Therefore I say unto you, saith Christ, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. He doth not say, pray how you will, and you shall have them. But pray in such and such manner. Pray believingly. Then you shall receive. Very much to this purpose is the first of James, verse 5. If any man want wisdom, let him ask it of God. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So that you see, God looks to the manner as well as to the matter of a performance. Second, you must pray regularly according to the will of God. Third, dependingly, resting upon Christ's intercession. Fourth, waitingly. Fifth, preparedly. But these I shall pass by because they do not so properly concern the point in hand. Sixth, we are commanded to pray earnestly and fervently and importunately. So David did in Psalm 55:17, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. A full place to this purpose is Romans 15:30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The word in the Greek is very emphatical. It is the same word that is applied to Christ when he was in an agony. When he sweat drops of blood, he beseecheth them to contend and strive in their prayers. We are to be, as it were, in agony when we are in prayer. Prayer is not a little book labor. It is not a lip labor only, but it is a raising up and putting forth the heart and affections in the work. So Romans 12:12, be continuing instant in prayer. It is a metaphor taken from dogs. A dog of all creatures is the best able to endure hunger. He will run from place to place and never leave till he hath got his prey. So you are to hunger after God and after mercy and not to rest satisfied till God doth grant the mercy you stand in need of. Pray and pray and pray again and fight till you overcome. Pray till you get an answer. 
Another place is James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The word in the original is significant. Some expounded a working prayer. It may be interpreted a prayer well wrought in the heart. And so a prayer that comes from the heart. A prayer wrought in us by the Spirit and carried on by faith. Another place to the same purpose is Acts 26.7, unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God. The word is rendered by some continually, daily, constantly. But it signifies most properly a serving of God with the utmost of one's strength to be as a man upon a rack, to use the very all of, it, of their power. Or it may be it is borrowed from one that runs a race, wherein men stretch out their limbs to the utmost. The word is the same here that is used in Acts 12.5. Prayer was made without ceasing, or as it is in the margin of your book, and more agreeably to the original, instant and earnest prayer was made for Peter. The prayers of God's people were so earnest that they opened the prison doors for him. So Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in, in prayers. So that you see, it is not every prayer that God is satisfied with. No, nor God's people, neither. It is not every prayer that shall prevail with God. There must be importunity in it. So much for the first reason. Second, we must have this holy importunity in prayer because there is much strength and importunity against thee. Whenever thou goest upon thy knees, there is strength against you both from without and from within. First from without. There are the powers of darkness that stand against you and resist you, as it was with Abraham, Genesis 15:11. When Abraham was sacrificing, fowls came down upon the sacrifice, but Abraham drove them away. Diodati saith that this is a sign that the devils, those infernal spirits, labor to disturb us in holy duties, as the good angels behold us in our assemblies and rejoice to see our order. So the wicked angels labor to disturb us and molest us. And second, there is strength against us from within. There is that in thy heart that will carry thee more violently from God than the good motions in thee can bring thee to God. There is a forcible withdrawing of the heart from God. In James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When you have no will to do good, even then you have a will to do evil. Nay, there are wills of the flesh and lusts of the flesh. Shall we not have half a will for God when we have many wills for sin? You see, therefore, it is not without good reason that we should be thus importunate in prayer and so much for the fifth particular. The sixth particular is this. What are the reasons why so many people do want this holy importunity that so many pray and so few pray with that earnestness and eagerness of heart and affection that is required? I answer, that comes to pass for many reasons. First, this comes to pass from the injections and instigations of Satan. The 
devil acts not only powerfully, but also subtly and craftily. He will endeavor to divert you from the performance of duty. He will persuade you to neglect it if he can. But it may be that thou wilt say, thou wilt direct thy prayer unto God, and thou wilt have thine eye fixed upon God. Why, now Satan will fall in with you. He will jog your arm. He will take off your eye from the mark that you shall not be able to hit it. Thus he dealt with Abraham, as you heard before. Thus he dealt, Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. I am not ignorant that many interpreters by the sons of God do understand the angels, because the angels are called the sons of God, Job 38.7. But it cannot be so taken here. I will give but one reason to prove it because the place where the angels are is in heaven. And if so, then the devil must be in heaven, which is by all denied. He never was in heaven since he was cast out of it. And therefore, Balducius says that this day was the Lord's day. And by the sons of God are meant the godly men that lived in the time and place where Job lived, the posterity of Seth. And you, you shall find in Scripture this very appellation given to them, Genesis 6-2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. These sons of God must needs be men and not angels. And so they are to be understood in this place in Job. The people of God met together and came before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. He came to hinder them and disturb them. So it was in Zechariah 3-1 and 2, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord saith unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a firebrand plucked out of the fire? You see how Satan labored to divert the thoughts and distract the heart of the high priest in the performance of religious duties. That is the first reason. Second, this importunity is wanting in our prayers when we know and allow ourselves in any one sin and let it lie upon our hearts unrepented of. Heldersham gathers from the 51st Psalm that all the while that David did lie in that sin of adultery, All the time that sin was unrepented of, the heart of David was shut up that he could not pray, as he was wont to do before, and as he did after he had repented of that sin, at which time he writ the penitential psalm. You had need, look to your hearts, that there do not lie there any sin encouraged and unrepented of. For be sure of this, if thy prayer do not make thee leave sinning, Thy sin will make thee leave praying. That is the second reason of the want of importunity. Third, another reason is this, because many take unfit seasons for the performance of duty. It is the judgment of that learned and reverend man of God, Mr. Bolton, that the taking of unfit seasons for the performance of prayer doth more obstruct and hinder this holy importunity in prayer than all the suggestions and instigations of Satan. Now, there are three unfit seasons for the performance of this duty. First, when the body is sleepy and fit for nothing but to take its rest. A sleepy and sluggish temper 
is a canker to eat out many sweet affections. Canticle 3, 1, By night upon my bed I sought him, but I found him not. Some interpreters take occasion hence to speak against late prayers. Second, another unfit season is when the heart is filled with worldly care and distractions and the encumbrances of this present life. Many men are guilty of this. They will so clog themselves with the cares of this life that they cannot have a praying time free from them. Some men will be down on their knees before the things of this world are out of their minds. And so they have no time to consider or meditate or to put the heart into a fit frame for that work. You know we are to attend upon the Lord without distraction. 1 Corinthians 7.35 It was the fault of those Jews in hearing that when they came to hear the word, their hearts did go out after their covetousness. Ezekiel 33.31 That is another another season unfit for prayer. Third, another season is when we are under passionate distempers. When tumultuous passions are up, holy affections are down. 1 Timothy 2.8 I will will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. To show that where there is wrath, the duty of prayer cannot be performed in an acceptable manner. And of the same mind was the Apostle Peter, who therefore gives this counsel, 1 Peter 3.7 Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The apostle wisely foresaw that if man and wife lived in discontent and trouble, then their prayers would be hindered. And therefore he adviseth them to prevent the hindrance of their prayers by avoiding occasions of discontent. And that is the third season wherein people are unfit for prayer. So they are diverted from that fervency and importunity they might have in their prayers. We should therefore choose fittest seasons for prayer. It is said of Luther by Vitus Theodorus, who was present with him at the Coburg and many times heard him at his private prayers in a letter of his to Melanchthon, that there was no day passed over his head wherein Luther did not spend three hours at the least in prayers. And those, not hours that that he could best spare, unseasonable hours, but such hours as were the fittest hours for his study. And that was a reason that Luther was very importunate in his prayers, as the same author informs us. Good God, with how much reverence did I hear him pray, with how much boldness and confidence, etc. And on the contrary, one reason why men have so little of this holy importunity is for want of taking fit seasons for the work. Fourth, another reason of the want of this holy importunity is the disuse and neglect of prayer in your Christian course. Many there are that pray sometimes and leave off praying again. Now, this doth very much dull men's affections in prayer. There is a proverb, use makes perfectness. I am sure it is so in the duty of prayer. Let a Christian pray often, and he will come to pray well, and to pray with much enlargedness of heart, and let him leave off prayer, and he will find his heart exceedingly straightened. Take a key 
If you use it frequently, it will be bright. But if you lay it aside, it will soon grow rusty. Thus will it be with a man's heart. Use prayer much. Keep it close to the performance of duty. It is the way to have thy heart bright. Let this key of prayer which doth open heaven be used. It will be kept bright. And thy prayer will enter into heaven. But let this key of prayer be laid aside. And do not thou often use it. And will quickly grow rusty again. Thy prayers and performances will not be able to enter heaven. And thou wilt not be able to perform duty in the manner that God expecteth. If thou dost not watch unto prayer with all carefulness, thou wilt loose thy zeal and fervent affection and thy holy desires after God in duty. As it is with a pump, use it every day and water will come. But if you forbear the use of it two or three days, water will neither come so easily nor so plentifully. If you do not pump out your holy desires every day, they will quickly flag and grow remiss. Physicians observe concerning the teeth that the side of the teeth that is not used is most subject to rooms and distillations. That heart that is not inured to prayer and holy duties is most subject to Satan's installations and suggestions. This is the fourth reason. The fifth reason why this importunity is wanting is this, because men tie themselves to prescript forms of prayer. I do not say that it is unlawful to use set forms of prayer. We find that Jesus Christ himself used a form. In Matthew 26:39. Christ went and said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Verse 42, he went again the second time and prayed again, prayed saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, thy will be done. Verse 44, he went away again and prayed, saying the same words. To show that it is lawful to use set forms of prayer, but not always. You are to strive for the spirit of prayer. A man that will use his crutches constantly shall go lame all the days of his life. We live in an age wherein religion is much professed and the gospel is fully made known. Do not content yourselves with forms. Labor for the spirit of prayer. Thereby you may go to God and spread before him your wants and necessities and beg those mercies that are most suitable to your wants and exigences. Forms indeed will teach you to beg pardon for sin in general, but you must beg pardon for particular sins. You must not only beg mercy in general, but you must also beg those particular mercies that are most suitable to you. And this set forms are defective in, which, is, which yet is the main work in prayer. He that ties himself always to another man's form will not be able to pray alone, but weakly and coldly and formally. This is the fifth reason. And sixth, another ground of this importunity is a giving away to an accustomed continuance in, in a slate and careless performance of duties. This enervates the affections and emasculates the spirits. What men are accustomed to, that they get in the habit of so that they cannot do the contrary. As a carrier's horse that is used to a dull and slow pace cannot go out of it. The lessening of acts makes habits more remiss. That is the last reason and so much 
shall suffice for answer to the sixth question. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.